This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. First, I want to say, Sandy, like you, I'm not easily impressed. And for over 30 years, I've been an environmental uh, leader and activist. And 25, I've been a climate activist. And in the hundreds of conferences I've been to, I have to say that this conference these past two days, as well as the Bend the Curve report, are exceptional, impactful, and excellent. So, Rom, to you and the entire team that put the conference together and put the report together, bravo and thank you. Let's uh... Um, I, I also want to say, as a member of the Board of Regents of UC, it's one of the greatest honors I could possibly have is to serve on the Board of Regents of the University of California. And that's because of the unique value that UC plays, not just to the state of California, but to the nation and to the world. And it plays, it has such a uniquely important, valuable role, not just because of how it educates its students, but it has a uniquely invaluable role because of its, the quality of its research and the impact that has on each local community, our state, our nation, and our world. And, and I want to say that all the regions unanimously, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very respectful board now, and all of us uh, are committed, committed, passionately committed to maintaining the excellence of UC. We're committed to maintaining uh, access and affordability to, to California students. Of course, the affordability is getting more challenging as state divestment continues, so that's a challenge. Uh, but we're equally committed to the excellence, not just excellence in education, but excellence in research. And the reason we're this excellent is because of the quality of our chancellors, our faculty, our researchers, our staff, and we get that. So m- making sure we continue to uh, attract and retain the quality of the people that run UC that we've seen on display here for these past two days is something that's not just something that the regents unanimously are committed to, but consider an honor to be able to support you and continue this work. Um, So, and part of the excellence is our students. Throughout the two days, we've heard the role students play. Now you'll hear from them directly. We only have 15 minutes, so there will probably be no Q&A. I know each of the students has a three-minute presentation that they have planned. Um, I do want to say, well, we've heard the role from chancellors and from others throughout the two days about how important students are to this effort. Um, I want to also say to the students and to everyone here that the regions are also unanimously and passionately behind President Napolitano's climate-neutral commitment by 2025. Um, Fortunately, there's no climate deniers on the Board of Regents. Uh, More fortunately, uh, we all understand the, uh, that this is probably the greatest issue uh, facing our generation, all generations that are alive on the planet right now, that will most impact yours. Um, and we also understand the unique and important role UC has played and needs to continue to play, not just in meeting our own 2025 climate-neutral goals, but in helping the world stay under two degrees as we move forward. So with that, we'll move right into it. I'm going to say we have here on the panel, we have Cody Lee from UC Irvine. We have um, Nicole Jackman from UCSF. Um, Ellen 
Ash from UC San Diego and Adriana Gomez from UC Merced. I think, Adriana, we're going to start with your presentation. Sure. If you'd be so kind, though, before you start your uh, presentation, each have three-minute presentations planned. Before you started, if you could say what you're studying and if any of you know what you'd like to do after you graduate, maybe say that as well. You never know. There could be someone here that could be <laughs> helpful in that effort. Okay. Adriana. Well, good afternoon. My name is Adriana Gomez, and I'm from UC Merced. I'm a sophomore studying Earth System Science and Psychology. And I would like to begin by saying it's a complete privilege to be here uh, in the presence of so many wonderful uh, researchers, faculty, and staff. And it's also been an honor to represent UC Merced as part of the Climate Neutrality Initiative. Um, this project has been very near and dear to my heart, not only because of uh, my background, but also because of the uh, incredible opportunities that are being presented at UC Merced right now. And that has a lot to do with the Carbon Neutrality Initiative, but it also has a lot to do with UC Merced's own triple zero commitment, which promises zero net uh, energy, zero net greenhouse gases, and zero landfill waste by 2020. My work specifically with the Carbon Neutrality Initiative has been to update our climate action plan, and I approached this project with quite a bit of... um, of of careful reminding that it was going to be a frustrating process and that there was going to be a lot of roadblocks to seeing its success. And it's been that, but it's also been a highly rewarding experience simply because I'm doing this at a campus where sustainability is so deeply ingrained in everything that we do. And it's present in every building, it's present in every classroom. And um, finding those people whose job it is to have these sustainability frameworks is much simpler when it's so apparent. Uh, UC Merced is really proud to be a leader in this um, in this in this space simply because we've done it from the beginning. All of our buildings manipulate incredibly highly advanced um, infrastructural and architectural design. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the people who teach and the, the engineers who are creating these spaces. Um, we have several lead certified engineers that work specifically on this project, and they go into the classroom, they teach these standards, and they ensure that the, um, the, the, pro- the program is going to continue to have interest and is completely seamless. But... That being said, a lot of that information has already been documented in our very first climate action plan, which was written in 2009. And that was when the university had about 2,000 students. We had one classroom building. We had a collection of housing buildings. And today, we're really proud that in 2015, we have 6,500 students. We have uh, five, uh, almost six classroom office building spaces. And we have a a residence village, which um, houses a large portion of our students simply because Uh, There aren't too many off-campus housing solutions uh, available yet. So the key point that I wanted to focus on specifically on this project was that piece of student engagement. How do we get students involved and how do we get them to collaborate with the faculty and staff who are actually actively making the decisions that that lead to the future that that the students want to envision. And so those are some pieces that have been very... um, inspiring both both and inspiring and challenging because getting students to actually think about it is a longer process than you would imagine but it's also about getting students to really articulate what their vision is about and that's all going to be documented in the climate action plan specifically how each section of the climate action plan uh, actually includes student quotes about how it relates to that topic how they see it uh, evolving during their time and the ultimate goal is that we're going to have students take the 
these experiences at UC Merced and translate that into information they can take into the local and global communities. So thank you very much. Because we've heard about how Merced has all LEED certified buildings, I, I, I feel it important to, uh, with the student panel to acknowledge that it was about six, seven years ago that it was a student region backed by the Student Sustainability Association that brought forth the sustainable building initiative to the regions that was unanimously approved so that every new building that would be built thereafter would be LEED certified, and that was a student-led movement. So, thank you. Thank um, you. Ellen. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm a graduate student in ecology here at University of California, San Diego, and my research focuses on how semi-arid shrublands respond to global change. And specifically, I'm looking at the Southern California coastal sage scrub ecosystem and the global change factors of altered precipitation and increasing invasion by non-native grasses. Now, I think that um, it's really important to understand these dynamics in arid and semi-arid systems because globally they make up about 40% of terrestrial land cover. And I think that if we have insights onto how they, they impact global carbon models and also how we can understand the dynamics in those systems, we'll be able to leverage that information in those ecosystems to help us bend that curve down. So. We in this room are no stranger to the changing precipitation here in California and throughout mid-latitude areas in the world, actually. Um, we've had some of the most unprecedentedly severe droughts in recent history, and here we're sitting in an El Nino year right now. Um, and that's exactly what models predicted. We're not really sure if rainfall is going to increase or decrease, but increasing variability is certain. And so, as you obviously expect, Changing precipitation amounts impacts the amount of biomass that ecosystems produce. And of course, production of biomass is the process by which they are able to sequester carbon. And so here in California, we see um, interesting patterns based on the amount of carbon ecosystems are able to sequester based on the dominant community composition. So whether that's a native shrubland system or an invaded grassland, um, for instance, can really impact the functionality that we see. So in my research I've seen that, um, and other people as well, have seen that these exotic annual grasses really respond to changing precipitation regimes and they increase productivity a lot. However, that above ground pool is not the only pool of carbon we should be concerned with. There's a ton of carbon stored in soil and also when that plant material senesces and dies, the soil microbes decompose it in their heterotrophic, like us, giving off CO2. Um, and I've seen that invasive grasses decompose much more readily than the native shrub litter, and therefore the ecosystem response that you see is not, you know, it's not just one pool that you have to look at. You really have to try to integrate all of these things. Um, and so what, what I'm seeing is that, in fact, invasion by exotic grasses can... Um, accelerate uh, carbon loss from systems, um, whereas your native species are able to um, have small carbon sinks even in the face of drought. And so I think that the key principles that I and a million other ecologists are doing um, here in the state of California and across the world 
can really give us some insights into how we can make a more resilient ecosystem in which we all live and integrate those, those ecological principles into our built environment. Nicole. All right. Um, I think my background is a little different than some of the other folks here. I am an anesthesia resident at UCSF Medical Center, and I'll be telling you about my project specifically and also other strategies that we have to try to green the, the OR, which is an inefficient part of the hospital. So basically, I'm trying to encourage my colleagues to use anesthetic agents efficiently because these agents are greenhouse gases on the order of like 200 to 1,000 times the global warming potential of carbon dioxide. Um, I don't think that this is something that is routinely taught to anesthesia providers in their training, um, and therefore I am telling them. And I know that we won't actually <laughs> be able to get rid of um, these anesthetic gases because there, there have been multitude of agents that have been developed. There are four that we currently use, but I think that we can use them efficiently. And the way that we would do that is through the fresh gas flow that we use to deliver it. So basically, um, you may ask how, this, how these gases get into the environment. We deliver them to a patient. They breathe in and out. They stay anesthetized for their surgery. And ultimately, the gas is scavenged by the ventilator and released into the environment. Um, basically, for my, my colleagues, I say we should be efficient in doing, doing, delivering anesthesia. And the way that we do that is by turning down our gas flow. So the analogy is you can drink water from a water fountain, from a garden hose, from a fire hose. Um, one of them makes more sense than all of the others, and I'm trying to relay that message. Uh, the way that some of us have picked the fresh gas flow to use kind of comes from early studies done in rodents where one particular anesthetic agent caused nephrotoxicity or kidney toxicity in rodents. Importantly, it's never been replicated in humans. This chemical reaction cannot occur with commercially available products with our ventilators now. And I think ultimately people have taken this one finding and this one recommended, FDA recommended fresh gas flow and applied it to other volatile um, agents. So basically we can use lower fresh gas flows and still deliver safe anesthesia. So basically, my project is incorporating this data minute by minute during every surgery at UC multiple UCSF hospitals, extracting it, looking at our current practice patterns, and encouraging behavioral change and mindfulness. Um, I think it's important because this is actionable. It doesn't require bureaucracy. Um, everyone can kind of turn things down. And economically, it makes sense. So there's an anesthesiologist at the University of Pennsylvania took the cheapest agent that we used um, and through a simulation model calculated that if we went simply from two liters per minute to one liter per minute, over the course of a lifetime, one anesthesiologist could save about a million dollars. And that's just one. Um, so that is what my project currently is. Uh, I think other efforts at UC include kind of greening the OR in terms of looking at waste management, looking at um, sustainable products, product packaging, looking at our purchasing, looking at just-in-time models of energy use because ORs are not used all the time, yet lights stay on and air circulates 24-7, 365. 
So um, the World Health Organization really defined climate change as a health priority, and I think it's interesting that the health system is a big utilizer, uh, currently about 8% of the U.S. carbon footprint. So there is much work to be done, especially uh, all of the energy colleagues in the audience as it pertains to the OR and hospital systems, and I hope to see more of this work um, certainly incorporated in UC hospitals, but hospitals world statewide, countrywide, and, and worldwide. So thank you for your attention. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Excellent. Cody? My name is Cody Lee. I'm an undergraduate majoring in social ecology with a minor in global sustainability at UC Irvine. My project as a student engagement fellow with the Carbon Neutrality Initiative began the process of connecting the fellows across the 10 campuses. As a transfer student, I entered the University of California about a year ago knowing about climate change, but not really understanding the urgency or how I could make a meaningful impact. Um, Through the Carbon Neutrality Fellowship and through uh, UC Irvine's unique approach to student engagement, I was exposed to new perspectives and new people. Through the Carbon Neutrality Initiative, I'm uh, connected to a statewide network of climate leaders, and I now recognize the importance of youth leadership towards resilience to a changing climate. Um, In July of this year, uh, Carbon Neutrality and Global Food Initiative fellows from across the state gathered in San Francisco for a pilot fellowship retreat. In this space, the fellows were invited to increase their skills in transformative leadership, improve their communication around critical food and climate-related issues, and were equipped with select organizing tools. Cody, you said on the call when we were prepping for this Mm -hmm. about the networking that Mm -hmm. you've done as a fellow. Talk about what motivates you to even want to volunteer, addition to your studies, to even be be a leader like this. Understanding the role of youth in the years to come is just, just, we have such an enormous job to do. And we really just need to be able to have not only the knowledge and skills to step into leadership, but we need to have the ability to lead. We need to be able to give, be given that opportunity to experience leadership before we're actually immersed in the challenges that are right here in front of us. If this, if this is really indeed the greatest challenge of our generation, then we really need to be immersed in that now. It, it's, it's not a matter of waiting until we've already graduated and we're now in the space searching around for opportunities to actually step into leadership. We need to step into leadership now. That, that is the role of the youth. We need to be involved in the current activities that are happening all over the UC, and we need to be given that space to grow. So, and this fellowship is giving you that, that knowledge and experience in stepping into a leadership role. Indeed. Yeah. The, the Carbon Neutrality Fellowship, really, I've, I've been connected to, like I mentioned, a statewide network. And these are, these are my fellows, my, my friends. They are across the state, and I, I feel like I know them. I can organize with them. It's, it's just it's a matter of knowing that there are people out there that I can work with, that I can trust. I've, I've also been, in, in, just as a youth, I don't feel like I trust politics. I don't trust politicians. <laughs> You're not alone, Cody. You're not alone. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really, we, we are in a democracy, and we have the space to really lead in ourselves into the future, but we need to know that there are friends and allies out there that we can trust. 
Right on. And, you know, one of the other things, Cody, that student leadership has led to, you heard when President Napolitano, as part of her comments, talked about our sustainable investment uh, uh, principles. Uh, when our new CIO started, actually a month before our new CIO started, it was a student groups, student leaders that approached President Napolitano and the regents wanting to have our investment look at sustainability. And uh, so, so Janet started a task force to look at that, that students played a key role in, mm-hmm. which led to Jagdeep announcing a month or so ago uh, the most uh, profound sustainable principles of investment that any university has both in analyzing every investment, which is going to lead to divestment of things beyond coal, Mm -hmm. um, but he also announced a billion-dollar commitment of investment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we heard from the BYD company how, you know, so you see how that all ripples, and that was a student-led initiative as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, students are, are, you see from the research that we're hearing, right, and... um, but also their leadership, uh, the remarkable role they're going to play. We won't be successful in reaching our carbon neutrality goals without our students. I think it's difficult to overstate. It's difficult to overstate the impact that something like this fellowship really has had on every single fellow. And I know that there's quite a few of us in this room, and we're just four of the students that have actually gotten the opportunity to be proud to represent our schools but honestly we're just little pieces in what's happening collectively throughout all of the UCs and to have these connections with other students who are doing the same work it's a rare opportunity that so many students on every single different different uh, lens that they're looking through are getting and and to be able to say that that we're working as a collective unit that represents not even just one campus, but all the campuses to lead towards that collective vision is something that makes me emotional, but also is, is a really powerful opportunity. And in the like two and a half minutes we have, since you are uh, just representing so many other students that are involved in, in so much of this, perhaps we might open see if one or two of the students, I know there are other uh, uh, sustainable student fellows out here, if any, if any, uh, any of the uh, students out here uh, that are involved in this, please raise your hand. Okay. Hi, my name is Gabriel Morabe from UC Merced. And um, like uh, Adriano was saying, it is a collective effort. Um, I'm a fourth year undergraduate. Um, I started getting into uh, sustainability my second year. I was planning on being a physical therapist at first. But um, once I started getting into this, uh, this internship, it showed me that um, I can make a much bigger difference on the world. Um, and I hope that my actions can influence other people's actions. It's like, um, like you said, it's a ripple effect. Um, that's um, pretty nervous, pretty nervous. <laughs> and, and, I, and I just want to say to the students here and to all the students, thank you so much for your commitment to this issue. Wait, did you want to say something? I, I was just going to say, I, I think the thing that is telling as well, just kind of being on the outside and not exposed to as much climate science as other folks in this room is that one thing that is telling is that this earth is here for all of us and it exists, you know, things can be done across disciplines. So irrespective of interest, passion, life direction, like there is a place for you in this work. Um, And I think that's the take home message that we need to kind of relay to everyone. Final comment? Yeah, students from all disciplines need to make sure that they have the tools, perspective, and knowledge to be able to grapple with the complexities of our new reality. It's really, we need to make sure that all students 
have that opportunity. So I'd like to extend an opportunity to our outstanding faculty to find new innovative ways to engage with other departments on our campuses to make sure that we have those skills and we have those perspectives and knowledge. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.